You know, I've, I had slept with every single type of woman. Um, I had come a part of the most elite fighting force on the face of this planet. You know, I, you know, I, I had money living a dream in San Diego. And at the end of the day, I was still empty. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. So good to be with you today. I've got actor, author, and former Navy SEAL Remy Adeleke sharing his powerful story with us. Uh, Super, super good stuff. Really, really powerful. I think that you're going to really enjoy today's interview. Uh, If you're brand new to the Dad Tired Ministry, welcome. Super glad that you're here. We are a ministry that is focused on equipping men to lead their family well. Um, If you're all about that or you're trying to stumble your way through that and figure out what it means to lead your family uh, spiritually, we would love to have you come be part of our little community. We've got a closed group on Facebook. We've got thousands of guys from all over the world who are taking this stuff seriously. We'd love to have you come be part of that group. You can go to dadtire.com, click the community tab, and we'll actually link you over straight over to that group that we have over on Facebook. We are a ministry completely funded by our listeners. So if you are a longtime Dad Tired listener, you've been part of the community for a while, and you just believe in what we're doing to reach more men for the gospel and equipping men with the gospel to lead their families, uh, we would love your support. All donations are tax deductible. You can go to dadtired.com forward slash donate and make a generous donation. Again, that's tax deductible. Um, So it's a write-off for you or your business if your business wants to contribute in that way as well. Before we dive in today, I want to thank my friends over at Marriage After God for sponsoring this episode. Uh, Aaron and Jennifer, they are going to be on the show in a couple weeks, so keep an eye out for that. They'll be talking about their new book, but they also have a podcast called Marriage After God, which is so good. I've talked about it with you many times before. They are a couple that uh, my favorite thing about them is they just don't sugarcoat anything. Uh, They will bring it to you very, very real and raw. Uh, They've always opened up their hearts and their story, and uh, they just don't beat around the bush with stuff. So if you're not already subscribed to the Marriage After God podcast, make sure you pause this episode right now, go over there, hit the subscribe button, then come back and finish this episode. Um, But also pre-order their book, Marriage After God, which comes out in just a couple weeks. You can get that on Amazon. Uh, They'll price low price guarantee or whatever Amazon does. So if you purchase it now and the price goes down, you'll always get the lowest price before it releases. So you can don't have to worry about any price changes there. Uh, anyway, they're doing some incredible things. Uh, I look forward to partnering with Aaron and Jennifer more in the future and just seeing how God uses them to help shape more marriages to be gospel-centered, biblically-centered marriages. Without further ado, let's dive in to our interview today. I know it's going to be super, super encouraging to you. Remy, super glad that you took the time to hang out with us today. I know you're busy, man. But uh, for the audience who may not be familiar with you, can you just give us an update on who you are and what you're up to these days? Yeah. So my name is, uh, hey, first off, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, My name is Remy Adelaide, born in Africa. I'm sure we'll get into that. I grew up in the Bronx. Um, I'm a former Navy SEAL now. Uh, Spent 13 and a half years in the military. The majority of that time was spent in special operations as a SEAL, Um, intelligence, medic, Middle East deployments, you know, that was that was my my my, my job for a while. Uh, got out, found myself in Hollywood. I'm an actor. Uh, I've been in Transformers. I just finished on Michael Bay and Ryan Reynolds' last film called Six Underground. That comes out on Netflix in uh, in uh, uh, the end of end of the year. And uh, I'm a writer, so I wrote my book. And uh, my book just came out Tuesday, May 14th. And uh, I'm a film writer as well, so I'm I'm writing films uh, uh, for Hollywood. <laughs> 
Dang, dude, you're not busy at all, man. Just no, like, not at all. <laughs> out of your mind. And you're, yeah, and you're a husband yeah. and dad, right? And I'm a husband and dad. Husband, I've been married for going on eight years. We have three beautiful kids, three boys. Um, oldest is five. My middle is about to be four. My youngest is six weeks. Dang. Bro, you're busy, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to clone myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez, man. Well, let's dive into like the beginning of the story. So you were born in Nigeria, right? Like what, yeah. what was that all about? Yeah. So I was born in Western Africa, uh, Nigeria specifically. Uh, my dad, he was, uh, um, he was a very, very well-known, influential and wealthy uh, Nigerian businessman as well as an engineer who's actually educated in, 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 in London. He got his master's in um, architecture and engineering and did a lot of work in London. And he was actually one of the first black men on the uh, border of the World Trade Center in, in New York. Wow. And uh, because of his success, you know, we essentially I was born into wealth. So, you know, we traveled the world. We didn't have... We didn't have a nanny. We had nannies. We didn't have a car. We had cars. We had drivers. We didn't live in a house. We lived on a beautiful compound uh, on this island called Victoria Island in Nigeria. Um, and so that was that was my early years. My dad, um, one of his most prominent projects is a project um, by the name of the Lagoon Development Project. And I go into detail about it in the book. But essentially what it was is it was one of the first man-made islands in the world. And um, he invested millions and millions. As a matter of fact, he bought it. He bought the lagoon for um, eight eight uh, million pounds at the time in the nineteen. 19- 70s wow. and uh and he hired dutch engineers to dredge it to turn this lagoon into into an island um and and the nigerian government in 1987 after the land had been fully formed and they were getting ready to develop buildings on it the nigerian government essentially said you cannot have this this does not belong to you um the people that you acquired this from which was the federal government um they had no right to give it to you and the lego state government said that you know, was was the one making this claim they said you know this property belongs to lego state not the federal government and so it was convenient and and because they waited until uh, until there was land instead of stopping him before he even started to to dredge the foreshore um but as we know there's a lot of there's a lot of corruption in nigeria so anyway when that happened you know uh my dad went to court to fight the government uh, he died a few days later, and uh, and when he died, we essentially there was nobody to fight, so we went from we went from rich, having everything to absolutely poor, and that's when my mom, you know, said there's no way. My mom was American, uh, is American, and uh, uh, she met my dad actually in the United States, and then she moved to Africa with him. But that's when my mom said, you know, there's no way I'm I'm going to raise my kids here in Africa, um, so she moved us to New York City permanently grew up in the Bronx. Jeez, dude. So that's insane. Wait, so your your dad died unexpectedly too, right? Like that was yeah. he wasn't like sick or anything, right? Yeah, it was unexpected. He uh, you know, there's a lot of mystery around it. You know, there's a I kind of spell out in the book, but you know, there's a series of events. He was bitten by a dog with rabies. Um, went to a hospital, got bad medication. Uh, bad treatment, and he died from a combination of the rabies and the, and the bad medication. Oh um, gosh, so, um, yeah. How old were you at that time? I was five. Wow. Do you have memories of your dad? You know, subtle memories. Um, certain things, when I look at certain pictures, you know, those, those bring back memories. Um, uh, I do have one very, very uh, uh, prominent memory in my mind, and that's when my dad uh, kind of disciplined my brother. Because uh, mm. my, my, uh, my brother, we got into a fight and we were small, and my brother took my head and he 
smashed it up against the wall. Mm. <laughs> and my dad wasn't really happy because, you know, my dad, he was a very, very intelligent man. And, and his, his, his thing was, um, your mind is your most valuable asset. Your brain is your most valuable asset. So my brother got disciplined pretty heavily for that because wow. my brother was pretty much affecting, uh, in a bad way, what my dad deemed to be the most valuable asset, the brain. Right. Right. So you moved to the Bronx with your mom, your brother, uh-huh. uh, and uh, what was that like going from, you know, crazy rich lifestyle to now living in the Bronx with a single mom? You know, my mom did a fan. I say this all the time, but my mom did a fantastic job of masking the reality of what had happened. Um, uh, what I the, the, the best analogy I could give, it's as though that my mom was a director on a movie set and my mom just just created this this life on this set that seemed that seemed okay when but if you walked off the set you would be walking into a, into chaos and um so my mom you know she didn't as a matter of fact when my dad died i'll never forget it um she placed my brother on her right side and placed me on her left side and she said in such a calm uh, easy manner you know your dad has died and, he, and he's not coming back and she had said it in such a such a peaceful way that me and my brother, obviously we were young, I was five, my brother was six, we didn't fully understand death. But she said it in such a way that we just went to, you know, we just looked at each other, said okay, and then went back into the room and, and back to, went back to playing as if nothing happened. Wow. And so that, that kind of just speaks to the strength of my mom and how she she knew that she had to keep herself strong because she had these two boys to take care of. And, and, and I, I, I'm guessing that she figured that if she broke down in front of us, then we would break down. And if we broke down, then it would affect her even in, in the worst way. And right. so, you know, she, 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 uh, we didn't really understand. It wasn't until I was about eight years old. Uh, you know, I tell a story about book. I was, that's when it finally hit me that my dad was gone. You know, that's it, like, I remember I walked into, um, I was in my bedroom and uh, I walked up to, to this picture and it was a picture of my dad. And, you know, our bedroom was just so scarce. It just wasn't, wasn't much in there. We had this, this lamp that sat on this like rugged beat down dresser and, and it didn't have a shade. So it was just literally this lamp without a shade. Hmm. And, um, I just, broke down crying you know um just just crying because you know i so we didn't have much and you know they, my mom struggled and that's and i think it was around the, around the time i was eight years old that i finally began to realize we didn't have much you know because i would see my mom you know ask for ask the rent office for extra time to pay the bills my mom she barely she was she barely had enough food to eat herself she had just enough food to feed my brother and i so you know as i got older i began to recognize this and that all led to that breakdown at eight uh, and I associated, you know, success and wealth and everything with my father being there. And I said, you know, I said to myself, my dad was here. We want to live this life. And so um, that's when 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 the reality actually set in for me. Wow. What kind of kid were you growing up? Like, were you a rule follower? You, I mean, what was it like for you living in the Bronx? Um, I wasn't. A, yeah, I definitely wasn't a rule follower. I got in trouble a lot. Um, I was always, my mouth always got me in trouble all the time. Uh, and, uh, I, I always, I was very impulsive, you know, I would just do things like whatever I felt needed to be done in the moment, I would do it. Whatever I felt needed to be said in the moment, I would do it. I would say it. And, uh, it got me in a whole lot of trouble, especially with my mom. Um, but the blessing in all of that was my mom had a good way of punishing us. And that's kind of what led to me uh, being a writer. Because my mom would punish us by making us read the New York Times and uh, and write reports in the New York Times, so so 
So, and if they weren't near perfect, we'd have to pick a new article and start all over again. But anyway, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was wild. You know, I think I associated, associated a lot of it to, you know, I didn't have a man in my life to, to put me in check. You know, I, I, right. I, you know, I just had my mom. I didn't have a man to say, you know, no, this is not a man. This is a man, you know? And, 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 you know, as I got, as I grew older, you know, my mom couldn't discipline me and keep me in check anymore. So that's when I got even more out of control. And, uh, you know, uh, unconsciously I, I was searching for a father in my mind. I was, I was searching for something, someone to fill that void. And that kind of led me to, to hip hop and hip hop culture and street culture. And, and that's what essentially became my father. And, uh, you know, I started out stealing from my mom and that progressed to stealing from stores that progressed to stealing from, from, from jobs and that progressed to selling drugs. And then that progressed to running high level scams, you know? So I was, I was a wild one. I was a wild one. How do you go from that to like deciding to join the Navy and trying to become a SEAL? Uh, I got involved in a deal with a drug dealer that went bad. I sold him some products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time and only lasted for a fraction of that time. And he came knocking on my door and, uh, threatened my life. And, and that was a huge wake up call for me. Um, that was the wake up call that I needed and I paid him back his money. And then I'd made the decision that I'm not going to, to, to live this life anymore. And for six months I did absolutely nothing. And then one morning in June of 2002, I was lying in my bed and I literally hear this voice speak to me. Um, and at that time I thought it was my subconscious speaking to me, but in retrospect, I truly believe it was the voice of God. And, uh, and I have to say, you know, I, I had no belief system, you know, I, I, I would fluctuate yeah. between atheism and agnosticism. So, so, you know, the, I, I didn't believe in God to, to associate that voice with God, but in looking back and the events that transpired from that, that's, that I truly believe that it was God. And essentially that voice said to me, you need to get out of here. You need to join the military. And, uh, I remember when I heard that voice, I was just like, Oh I was like, huh, what, who, do what? No, that's yeah. not me. And uh, I battled for a while. And then finally, I, I kind of in that same room where I broke down crying, I, I looked around and looked at what my life had amounted to, which was nothing. I was 20 years old at the time. And I said, you know what, what else do I have left? I'm going to join the military. And so anyway, I ran ran down the street I grew up on and, and, and ended up you know, going to Marine Corps recruiter's for, or office first. I sat there for 15 minutes. He never showed up, got up. And I uh, walked down down the hall to the Navy recruiter's office and uh, and uh, ran into the, the perfect person that um, would take a risk on me. And I say that because this recruiter, Tiana Reyes, she ran my background and found out I had two warrants out for my arrest. But she ended up doing the hard work to sneak me into the Navy and get my record cleared. Jeez. And, and how do you go from that to then deciding you want to become a SEAL? What was the motivation behind that? You know, and, and uh, back it up a little bit. My mom was really big into the arts. And uh, in, in 96, a film by the name of The Rock came out. And uh, in that film, there were Navy SEALs in the film. And that was my first time exposed to Navy SEALs. And I, I think, uh, you know, subconsciously and maybe consciously as well, I made the decision that if I ever turn my life around, that's what I would do. I would be a Navy SEAL. But, you know, that was just a far-fetched idea at the time. I think I was about 15 at the time. But, you know, fast forward, you know, to when I finally got to boot camp, a Navy SEAL came and he put on a presentation of what SEALs do. He showed us videos of guys jumping from planes and scuba diving and shooting guns and driving dune buggies in the desert. And I was just blown away i was just like wow like that's that's what i saw in that movie and, and that's what i want to do you know and so um that became became the motivation for me to, to be a seal um but there were three issues one i couldn't swim two i didn't have the academic scores and three i could barely do a push-up i was skinny as a whip but um <laughs> yeah. but yeah that, that, that's essentially what led me down that path <laughs> yeah and 
so you you didn't make it right you couldn't pass the test for <laughs> become a seal at the beginning right like how yeah. what was the struggle to get there yeah i i couldn't even qualify to get in in the seal training um when i first joined the navy and so what i had to do was i had to had to take orders to my first command which was naval hospital camp pendleton and when i got there that's when i literally just started training i started you know, I didn't have a car, so I would run three miles to the pool, jump in the pool, uh, try to figure it out, <laughs> uh, and then I would run three miles back home. And I did this religiously for, you know, about three days a week. And then I would go to the gym and just make up workouts. I'd jump on a pull-up bar, do push-ups, just make up workouts. And then, you know, I, I got an ASVAB for Dummies book, which is a military academic book. And I just studied, studied, studied. Like, I wanted it, you know. And, and, and you know, I, and, when, and that's the thing about me, you know, when I want something, even, you know, even as a young kid, when I want something I would run through walls to get in and I wanted to be a SEAL. I wanted to get in SEAL training. So I just was so focused that I did everything in my power to make that happen. Um, and you know, within a year checking into my command, I was checking out and going to SEAL training. Wow. That's insane, man. Yeah. In the book, you talk about like one of the struggles that you had had was just relationships with women in particular, kind of being your downfall. Yeah. Uh, you you kind of describe yourself as being a player and having yeah. sexual addictions that ruined a lot yeah. of things. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, um, I think, you know, it started back in my younger years, you know, 16. I started, you know, I think it was pornography, you know, pornography and women. And, and you know, from that time I was either watching pornography, I was having sex with girls. And, and, and to me, it was normal, right? It was, it was just what you do, you know, especially yeah. because of how I was influenced um, through music, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, sleep around, be a player, you're a virgin, you're a cornball or you're weak, you know? And, uh, and so that was my drug. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, I never really had an addiction to drugs or weed or alcohol. I never, even before I came to Christ, I, I didn't even like the taste of alcohol. Uh, and the reason why I didn't like alcohol is because I didn't like not being in control of myself. And so, um, and that's why I didn't like drugs either, but women were my drug, you know? Um, and, and yeah, man, my, my whole, pretty much you know from 16 to 26 it was just women were were my drug you know i slept around with all kinds of girls and it was normal that's what i did um but you know as you alluded to it became my downfall because when i was in seal training the first time i had made it pretty much halfway through i made it through first phase hell week um which is the toughest part of of seal training it's where you lose the most people i graduated from hell weekend and uh, instead of working on what I needed to work on on the weekend, I was out chasing girls. I was out mm-hmm. sleeping around, you know, and and, 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 and the instructors um, and buds, if you had any deficiencies in any area uh, on the weekends, the instructors would show up on Saturday and, uh, you know, on their personal time and they would they would essentially work with you. And I was too, you know, tired. <laughs> from from you know being in, you know being up all night with girls and partying and all that other stuff that I couldn't show up, and so that's why I say it was my downfall, you know, because I you know my I let I let I let women become more of my focus than than my goal, and uh, yeah, I end up getting kicked out of seal training, um, wow. more than halfway through, you know, and uh, that kind of humbled me though, it humbled me, refocused me, and and uh, after I. I, I Spending two years with in, in, in the infantry, first marine division as a navy medic, I got my shot to go back, and um, that's when I really, you know, kind of dialed it back as far as you know the sleep. I still hooked up with girls and stuff, but not as crazy as I did, you know, in my earlier years, and and just dialed it back and focused on training and made it through. Wow, you talked about hearing a voice from God, you know, subconsciously you didn't really know that it was a 
a voice from God, but that was something that prompted you to join. Uh, yeah. And then in the book, you talk about you met a girl that you really loved, and she yeah. ends up taking her to church. Was that kind of the first connection that you had started to make back to God once you when you meet this girl that takes you to church? Yeah, yeah. I mean, back to I would say back to Christian faith. You know, you know, I would say that, but not not. Um, yeah, yeah. I would I would say that absolutely because you know I, I didn't go to church. I mean, I, I, as a matter of fact, when I when I joined the Navy and, and um, they asked me for my dog tags, what religion do I want on it? I put no religious preference. I had that on my dog tags for a long, long period because, again, I fluctuated between atheism and agnostic. I hated the church. I hated Christianity. Um, part of the reason why and I, I had this in my book, but I had to cut it. But I, I just for the sake of story, story arc. But, you know, I saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church as a young kid. Yeah. You know, my mom. You know, she would take us to a Baptist church, and I saw a lot of hooping and hollering and people talking about they love Jesus. But then I saw them talking about people behind their back or cursing them or, you know, fighting over a seat in the church. And so um, I did not like Christianity anyway. Um, and then obviously the stories you hear of pastors, you know, having affairs and stealing money and all that stuff, it just added to the to, to fuel to the fire for me. Um, but, yeah, I met this girl who I fell in love with, and uh, um, she liked to go to church. Um and, you know, I was willing to do whatever I needed to do in order to spend time with her. Right, and right. so uh, I would go to church with her. It was only about three times. It wasn't wasn't more than three times, but I I, I went to church with her. And uh, I hated it, hated every minute of it. I remember mocking the entire church service and church system mm-hmm. and pastor and people and everything. Um, and just scratching to get out of there as soon as I can could. Um, but, you know, as soon as she she committed to being in a relationship with me. I was just like, no church, we're not going to church. And, uh, you know, I pulled her out of the church. I pulled her away from the church, um, in that time. Um, but, you know, fast forward to, uh, um, later in my life, later in our relationship, you know, I was cheating on her and just being emotionally abusive, never physically abusive, just emotionally abusive towards her. And, uh, um, I, you know, long story short, I ended up breaking up with her. And, uh, uh I remember, you know, I, I broke up with her uh, two months later. I heard this voice tell me, you need to take back. You need to take back. And, and it was June of 2008, you know, uh, six years to the time I heard the voice tell me to join the military. And uh, long story short, I tell it all in the book, but I ended up getting back in a relationship with her. And I ended up getting sent to cold weather survival training in Alaska. <laughs> and while I'm there, I, re- I finally have time to reflect. And as I'm reflecting, I look on my life and I see how I, I treated her, I treated my mom. I make fun of my brother because he was a Christian and, and you know, just all of these people. And I, I just felt this conviction in my heart that, you know, a dude, like, who are you? What are you doing? And I made a conscious decision that when I got back from Alaska, you know, I was going to change my life. I was going to be a better man to, to this woman. I was going to marry this woman. I made a commitment to marry her when I got back. I, you know, I made all these decisions, you know, and, uh, and unbeknownst to me, she was making decisions as well because she went to a party one day and met a woman who, who, who was married to a SEAL. And this woman said, you know, you need to you need to if things are not going great, you need to leave because it's hard to be married to a SEAL. And that was that's she, she finally got the strength to leave me um, wow. through that conversation. And it was all divine, you know, you know, from God telling me to take her back to to 
you know, me getting sent to Alaska to me having this, this revelation that I'm not the best person and I need to be a better person to her going to this party. And I remember calling her, you know, three weeks after I had my, my epiphany is the first time I had a chance to speak to her. And I said to her, Hey, guess what? You're not going to believe this. I realize I've been a horrible person. Um, when I get back, I want to marry you. When I get back, I'm a change in my ways completely. And she hadn't said anything to me yet. And she was so silent on the phone. I said, Hey, what's wrong? And she said, you know, she said, I wanted to wait to tell you till you got back. I said, wait to tell me what, are you sick? Like the last thing I ever thought that she would ever do was leave me because again, I had been with her for two years and treated her horribly and she never left me. I left her. Um, so, so I, when she said she wanted to wait to tell me, till she got got home I thought she was seriously sick with something really really bad and uh she said no I'm leaving you and when she said that I just felt like I was in the twilight zone because I was just like what's going on like you know I I'm I'm, like I made the decision to change without you telling me you're leaving me and now you're leaving me like what's going on and she was just like it's over you've just treated me bad and when I hung up the phone you know I just just this wave of guilt and shame and uh, uh just just regret just kind of fell on me you know, because not and not just because of her, but because of, you know, because of the way I treat a lot of people. I used to be a very angry, a very uh, just rebellious, reckless, arrogant, just out there person. And uh, and so all of this guilt and shame just fell on me. And uh, uh, that's when my brother, he had been a Christian. He would tell me all the time, Remy, when you hit rock bottom, just just remember to cry out to Jesus. And so, um, that's what I just started doing while I was in Alaska. I just started saying, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. And then when I got back from Alaska, I, I, I called up my ex-girlfriend and she, she had became my ex-girlfriend at that point. I said, Hey, uh, can you please take me back? And she said, no, I won't take you back. I begged her, please. And then the words just came out of me and I said, okay, if you won't take me back, can you take me to church? Wow. And she said, okay, I won't take you back, but I'll take you to church. And, and, and we went back to church and, and I can't tell you anything that the pastor preached, but I can tell you that, you know, it was as though God was allowing me to really feel the weight of my sin. My spirit felt sick. You know, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, you know, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? Okay. And um, when I read that scripture, you know, years after I got saved, I was like, wow, that's exactly what I felt. You know, it wasn't, you know, I, I, my, my spirit was just crushed. And while I was in that service, and so, you know, at the end, when the pastor gave the altar call, I was all in. I was just like, hey, dude, like, I don't know any much about this Jesus or faith or anything, but I just know that I'm in a place where I need something that's bigger than myself. And I hear that that Jesus is the answer. So I'm, I'm here to try it out to see what happens. And uh, ever since then, everything changed or transformed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like. God had been chasing you down. I mean, do you feel like that's accurate? Like even when you were running away, it seems like God was just relentless in his pursuit of you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the scripture talks about no one comes to the father unless the son draws him near. And and yeah, I I truly believe that my entire life he was chasing me. And, and, you know, part of the story that kind of left out is, you know, uh, when I went to jump school, I went to jump school to, to, uh, and on my second jump, I broke my, I, I, the wind hit my parachute the wrong way. It came burning towards the ground. I split a bone in my ankle in half. Mm. And, um, and I did my next two jumps the next day. And then I went to the hospital. I couldn't walk for four months. And in those four months, um, my, my girlfriend at the time, she was my girl, still my girlfriend at this point, you know, she came to my house and she cleaned my house. She cooked for me. She brought me food. She left her poor dog with me to keep me company. Cause I was on bed rest. Couldn't really leave my house. 
and and despite that, I still treated her horribly, you know, cheating on her, just rejecting her, you know, just being verbally abusive. But she kept on showing up every single day. And I truly believe that what God was showing me in that time was his love for me, despite the way I treated him. Wow. Um, he was showing me how, you know, how he kept showing up day after day after day. He had been protecting me from going to prison. He had been protecting me from from diseases. He had been protecting me from 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 suicide and, and just dying and all of these things. You know, there's so many stories of where I should have been dead so many times over, but God had kept showing up and protecting me. And I just kept rejecting him, rejecting him, rejecting him. And so, no, I 100%, you know, I, God had been with me before I knew myself, before I even came in this, in, into this world. I truly believe that, you know, he was pursuing me and he does wow. pursue us and he does chase us, you know? And, and, uh, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, man. I think, dude, I, first of all, your story is just so compelling. I think there are going to be a lot of guys, um, who are going to hear this. And I think, I think Christ is going to be drawing their hearts. Amen. Uh, like that conversation that your brother had with you and that, you know, all the circumstances that ended up you being at church and like, I don't know what I'm doing, but all of a sudden I'm yeah. finding myself surrendering to Jesus. I, I have a feeling that yeah. there are going to be some guys listening to this show and, and this is going to be part of that. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I, yeah. I tell people all the time, you know, um, this is saying in the Bronx, you know, uh, when somebody comes up to you, and this is when I was growing up, you know, when somebody came up to you, come up, to, comes up to you, and they're gonna rob you because it happens. I've been robbed. My mom's been robbed. It's a normal thing in the Bronx. <laughs> hmm. And uh, they, they, there's, there was a saying when I was growing up, and the saying was, when they came up to rob you, they would say either get down or lay down. Hmm. And what that means is either you get down willingly. So I could rob you and, and take your money and, and go on about my business or you lay down, which means I'm going to shoot you in the face and you're going to lay down. You're going to be dead and I'm going to take it out of your pockets anyway. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what Jesus does. You know, when he has you marked, <laughs> uh, either one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to get down or lay down. No one is hard. And, 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 and I'm open in my book. When God crushed me, when he when he made me lay down. You know, he, I was broke. I'm a, I'm a SEAL. I didn't been through SEAL training twice. I didn't been through the Bronx. I didn't been through it all. But when he crushed me, there was no crushing like that. I was in tears. I was crying. And I'm not ashamed to talk about it in the book, you know, like, because cause this is the reality of what happened. But, you know, when he crushed me, I was broken. Uh, you know, I was crying. I was I was weeping. I was depressed. I was I was a mess, you know. Um, but and, and, and in reality, it wasn't really him that crushed me. It was my sin that crushed me. He just allowed it to happen. And so, you know, for all the men listening, you know, when, when God has you marked, man, you know, take heed, you know, don't, don't let it be a thing where you absolutely have to get crushed in order, in order for you to, 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 to capitulate, you know, he loves you so much, you know, that he just, he, he wants to protect you. Uh, he doesn't want you to have to go through what you go through, which, what you're going to have to go through if you, if you keep fighting him, you know, and at the end of the day, is it worth it to keep fighting him? In my opinion, not. No, not at all. Yeah, you talk about in the book how you had like so many things that you wanted were, had come true. Right? You fought hard to be a SEAL. Uh, yeah. You know, you got there. You became a SEAL. Uh, you, you know, you did a lot of things that you were hoping to do that, and you accomplished them. You kind of had your identity wrapped around being a SEAL and even yeah. kind of your identity of how you could treat women. Um, yeah. But all of that still left you empty. I imagine there's a lot yeah. of guys who are chasing a lot of things who they think – uh, either one, when they get there, will leave them or will get them fulfilled and satisfied, or maybe they've reached it like you did, and they're like, 
oh crap, this didn't actually fulfill me the way I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that it would. Uh, what would you say to those guys, you know, who are still chasing something to like find fulfillment outside of Jesus? Yeah, no, I, I agree, man, 100%, man. I, I've, I've had absolutely everything in the world. I'm not saying that to, to, to boast. I'm just saying that to kind of make a point. You know, I've, I had slept with every single type of woman. Um, I had become a part of the most elite fighting force on the face of this planet. You know, I, you know, I, I had money living a dream in San Diego. And at the end of the day, I was still empty. I was still empty. Like I, I, and I know a lot of guys who are in my position, you know, cause I, I work, you know, I work in various industries and I work with people who are billionaires and millionaires and, and, and the same thing, you know, they're empty you know? and they tell me, they tell me, you know, they don't use exact, those exact words. I'm empty, but they'll say, you know, man, I just feel like there's something missing. Man, why isn't my life like so fulfilled, man? I just feel like this. And it's just, and I know the answer, you know? And so, you know, at the end of the day, it does not matter what you accomplish, man. It's, it's Christ who fulfills us. It's, it's the Holy Spirit who sustains us, man. And, and, you know, uh, I, I, and this is a lesson. This is a lesson that even now as a, as a Christian man, I still have to remind myself because, you know, I, I work in the film and TV industry in Hollywood. You know, I, I just had a book come out and, you know, there are certain goals that I've, I have, you know, in, in, in the work that I do. And so at times it could be easy for me to think that, you know, if I just achieve this or I, if I just achieve that, that life would be better. And I'm going to tell you something as a Christian man, when that happens, those are the most miserable days of my life. <laughs> those are the most depressing, miserable days of my life. When I, when I have this plan or this idea mm, that, wow. you know, when I achieve this or when I get this life will be better. I, I, I get depressed and then the Holy Spirit smacks me upside my head and, and shows me, you know what I mean? I'm the one that sustains you. I'm the one that fulfills you. And so it's, that's it's right. real to me. It's, you know, man, that's so powerful, man. Yeah. You, you ended up, you know, you surrendered your life to Christ. Yeah. You ended up trying to figure out what that looks like. You, you, you talk about how you kind of served in many ways as a pastor to the guys in your unit yeah. when you were on deployment and uh, ended up being a youth pastor at home at your church. Yeah. And then you ended up transitioning out uh, of becoming a Navy SEAL and, uh, you know, just so you could be more engaged in a, as a husband and father. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, I, I, I transitioned. I made the decision, you know, when I was uh, at my 13 year mark that, you know, my, you know, I, 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 my dad died when I was five, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I saw that, how that, that had a negative effect on my life. It did. Uh, and, and, you know, the good thing is, you know, God redeemed me and he, he got hold of me and he was with me, at, you know, throughout all that. But, you know, at the same time, you know, that still had a very, very negative impact on my life. And so, you know, when I was at my 13 year mark, I had two sons at this point, you know, my oldest was two and my youngest was about to turn one. And I just looked at them and I was just like, you know, I, I can't keep doing this job. Uh, not cause I'm scared of dying, you know, but primarily cause I, yeah. I don't want to be away from them and being a seal, you're gone so, so much, you know? And, and so that's, that, that's what essentially led me out, you know, to, to, uh, I, I wanted to be with my boys. I wanted to be in their lives, raising them, molding them, helping them to be better men than I could ever be. Yeah. I love that, man. Bro, I'm so grateful that you shared a part of your story. I'm going to encourage all the guys to pick up your book, Transformed, which is everywhere where books are sold. Uh, after you read it and love it, go leave a review on Amazon. Uh, it's such a good book. Really, really good. Obviously, we only scratched the surface on your yeah. story here, but I, I really appreciate you coming on. Any last words you'd want to say to the guys listening? Anything else you want to tell? Yeah, you know, just, just you know, if you want, just hold firmly to the Lord, man. Uh, you know, 
just just hold firmly to him. Walk out, walk, walk in obedience. You know, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but strive towards that perfection. You know, uh, he is greater than we are. His plans are better than we are. And again, I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this to myself because it's easy for me to get caught up in the things uh, that, that are going on in my life at times and forget who's in total control and who has me covered and who has been with me throughout the, my entire life, even when I didn't, I wasn't with him, so to speak. So, yeah, just just hold firm and and uh, and set that example, set that example for your kids. Um, you know, don't live in hypocrisy. Allow your kids to see see you and say that's a strong Christian man. That's a man of God. And that's who I want to be. You know, when I grow up, if I'm a boy or if I'm a girl, that's who I want to marry when I, when I, when I get married. So, so yeah. I love that, man. I'm so grateful that you took the time. Uh, I'm wishing you the best. I pray that your story just continues to draw more hearts back Amen. to Jesus as a result of, of what God's done in your life. But man, thank you so much. I appreciate you, bro. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor and blessing. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to the Dad's Hired Podcast. Hope this episode was helpful to you and drew you a little bit closer to Jesus. If it was helpful, if it if you found this encouraging, would you just take two seconds to leave a rating and review on iTunes? It helps us get in front of more guys and grow this community of men who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Later.